And uh, I'm assuming my mic's on. I think it is. My name's Scott Crawford. I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, I have the honor and privilege to get to speak with you this morning. Steve is uh, on vacation. I guess is headed back from the beach this week, and uh, I think come back. He'll be here next week. But um, anyway, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. If you've been at Vintage uh, at all this year, you've heard us um, using some language that we started to adopt that really is kind of about who we are as a church and, and what who we are and what we're about is leading people to their real life. And the way we describe real life is it's being who God created you to be and doing what God created you to do. That's what we're about. We want to help you be the person God created you to be. And most of us, if you're anything like me, you spent most of your life trying to kind of become something different than maybe who you feel like you are or realize so many different things of how I need to discover who God really created me to be. But the reality is when God thought you up before the creation of the world, he had something in mind before Eve ever ate the apple. He had something in mind for you, and that is to be a person in relationship with him. And as we see in Ephesians, to do good works before, you know, anything else. He has these good works for each of us to be a part of. And so part of our role as a staff and part of my role this morning is to encourage you guys. And so we're going to just kind of start by looking at one verse in Colossians. I just thought this was a good, healthy, real life kind of passage. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes to the, the church in Colossians. He said, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. That's what we're here for as a church, in part, to help you as a, as a, as a believer, as a part of this body, grow and live your life and to challenge you and encourage you to live a life worthy of the Lord. That in everything you do, you're trying to please him and, the, and you're bearing a fruit in in the good works and growing in a knowledge of God. So this morning, I have the privilege of of looking at some things with you as we look at a passage in Scripture. We're going to look at everything in this context of a story. If you've ever been in church before, if you hadn't been in church before, you've probably heard this story. There have been who knows how many millions of sermons preached on this passage, but it, we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You all know it. It's the story of David and Goliath. And so we're going to look at this passage again this morning and hopefully get something new and encouraging and inspiring out of it. So I'm going to kind of begin by paraphrasing it. Chapter 17, what comes before chapter 17? It's chapter 16. It's not a trick question, but chapter 16, we see the prophet Samuel coming to coming to David's house because the Lord has told Samuel to go and anoint the next king over Israel. And told him it's going to come from this. This man will come from this man's house. And so Samuel goes to the man's house, looks at all of David's older brothers. And then long story short, comes to David. And the Lord says, yes, this is the man. So he anoints him with oil. And the and scripture says, and the spirit of God came upon David. Right. Chapter 17. David's dad says, hey, your brothers are off at war. The nation of Israel has gone into war against the, the nation of the Philistines. And so what we see is literally this setting of the Philistines sitting on a, on a hillside overlooking a valley. And on one side of the Philistines, on the other side is the nation of Israel. And evidently, day after day, the two armies would 
stand on these hillsides and maybe have some skirmishes. I don't know how it all worked, but one of the things that we see happening is that, you know, there's a great hero of each army that is kind of called out. So getting into this story, David's dad, David was a shepherd tending his father's flock. Dad calls him in and says, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers for me. Bring back a good report. Take with you some bread and some cheese so your brothers have some food and nourishment. But I'm, I'm sending you out to the, to the forefront of the battle to go gather some news for me and come back and encourage me. So this young little, I'm just going to say 13-year-old little boy, goes out, finds his brothers. And as he gets there, Scripture showing us that it was early in the morning and the, the soldiers were, were forming their battle lines. And he finds his brother and starts talking to his brother and hears these rumors. And just as the the battle lines are being formed, then we see in Scripture that this great giant man from the Philistine army comes out in front of the lines of soldiers of the Philistines. Now, in ancient days, I don't really understand why, but I I guess it does make some economic sense that there was this pattern. There was this thing that people did, nations did in battle that... Before the actual battle would be fought, they would send out their their bravest and strongest and best warrior from each side to battle against each other. To see whose God was to be worshipped, because the Philistines were worshipping their God and, and Israel's worshipping Yahweh, right? And so this is a traditional thing. So each day, this giant of a man, Goliath, would come out and he would mock the God of Israel and mock the people of Israel. And call them all sorts of names. This is what's taking place as David arrives in the camp. The battle lines have just been formed. Here's this little boy. And here comes this Goliath. And David is standing there and he begins to hear what Goliath is saying about his God. And he's like, I can't believe what is this uncircumcised Philistine doing? And scripture literally says that as he would come out and start mocking the, the warriors in Israel, they would literally turn around and run back up the hillside. And here's this 13 year old boy that is offended at what this man is saying about his God and his God's people. David's got some gumption. He's got a little spunk in him. And what happens next is David starts to talk about what he would do to this big behemoth of a man if he had the opportunity to. Well, the word of what David is in all of his spunk talking about gets back to the King Saul. And King Saul says, bring this boy to me. David goes before Saul and Saul listens to to David. And David's like, what are y'all thinking? This man is defiling the name of our God. I'll go out there. And I won't, you know, I won't embarrass you. I'll go take this guy down. I'm a shepherd and I have the Lord has led me to defeat a lion and to to defeat a bear. I'm going to take this guy down and show that my God is the God of all creation. You know what Saul says? Well, if you think you're all that, you're just a young lad. And this guy has been a fighting man since his youth. But the Lord be with you. So then the next thing that happens is, you know, David's going to put on all the armor and Saul says, you know, you got to you got to put on all this stuff. And David tries it on. It's like, this is ridiculous. I'm not wearing this goes out. And then we're going to pick up the story as we begin reading. And in chapter 17, I'm going to begin reading in verse 40. Here we are on the scene. If I can find verse 40, verse 40. 
Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he, he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you, that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord, our God and of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled this day. The Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, I don't know about you women, but as a guy, that gets me a little fired up. I mean, this guy's got some spunk. He's saying to, he's this little 13, uh, I'm making up, 13-year-old little kid saying, are you kidding me? I'm not even bringing a sword or a spear to the fight. I'm coming in the name of the Lord my God, and I'm about to cut your head off. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a knife. But he's saying, look, I'm about to cut your head off, big boy. Bring it on. Are you with me? I mean, I'm just letting you know, a little PG-13 moment. When you start talking about a man's private parts, you get somebody's attention. And he's saying, come on, you big uncircumcised Philistine. I want to see what you got. Now, for me, that kind of gets me stirred up. I'm kind of ready to go gather a couple stones myself and say, all right, I'm going to go down there with him, right? Well, let's back up just a little bit. We're going we're gonna to do something a little... A little uh, elementary, but bear with me. I've got a little illustration thing we're going to try. So what we're going to do, if I can get this to work, what we're going to do is, is I want you, we're going, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to do what you imagine I'm doing, okay? We're going to make it rain in here a little bit, okay? But just bear with me, okay? I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And I want everybody to do... What I'm doing. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, you may be wondering, like, what in the world? If your eyes were closed, how did you know what I was doing? Did you, I mean, did you imagine kind of picturing me in your head up here snapping my fingers and rubbing my hands together and clapping on my legs? I'm just asking, did you imagine that? Did you hear what was taking place, and then imagine in your mind seeing me do this and, and choosing to do it as well, right? 
If you if you did that, then here's the part that you got to understand this morning. We're talking about sight. And sight in this in your spiritual life doesn't come from your eyes. It comes from your mind's eye and it comes from the spirit of God speaking and showing you who he is and what he's doing. You see, David had sight that all of the rest of the nation of Israel did not have on the day of the battle. Here's this little filled with the spirit, 13 year old boy that looks at this battle and sees this eight foot giant. And the whole nation, the armies of Israel are looking at this giant Goliath and saying, we are in fear. And literally, Scripture says they would turn and run in fear of how big he was. And David comes on the scene in view of who his God is and says, are you kidding me? Like, here's this eight foot man that is a speck next to the toe of my God. What in the world are you guys thinking? I'll go and be used by God because the Lord is the one who's going to win this battle. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine next to my God? Scripture teaches us, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith. Not by sight. If you expect to live by what your eyes can see and react to, you're going to miss the greatest one of the greatest opportunities to live your real life, to live a life in faith and in confidence of who our God is. But it's going to take the spirit of God and your faith to be able to see who God is and what God's up to. Then no matter how big the giant in your valley is. You're going to be able to go into this battle with confidence, knowing that you're not just pursuing your own means, that you're stepping into what God is up to and how he wants to bring glory to himself through whatever your circumstance or situation is. So this morning we're looking at at sight, spiritual sight that the Lord wants each of us to live by again. That we're not living by our own eyesight, but that we learn to live by faith. So we're going to look at a few passages this morning. It starts in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let me read that again. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Do you think that David had some certainty of what was about to take place, but that was not yet visible to the whole rest of the nation of Israel? In complete confidence, he could see that the Lord was going to be the one to win this battle. Again, you've heard the story probably a hundred times in your life. We know how it ends. The reality is what I want you to see, Hebrews chapter 11, five verses later, verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It is impossible for you to live your life. It is impossible for you to live the real life. God created you to live apart from faith. It's impossible for you to live and try to please God unless faith is the way in which you're choosing to act. Faith 
oftentimes means defying all the logic, reason and intellect that you want to bring to the table. Oftentimes the experience, because the Lord is doing a work beyond what you could imagine apart from knowing that he is at work and that he has something greater beyond what human eyes can see that is going to take place and that he wants to do on this earth. And he wants to do it through you. Now, imagine Being a person like David, that stories are told about for centuries later because you were a person who believed God and reckoned that God could do whatever God wanted to do. And stories are told about how you live by this faith. Do you think that the things that you would experience in this life are life giving or feel defeating? I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody that's that's known To live by faith and that God does these amazing stories that people want to tell about because I trusted God and he did amazing things that others couldn't conceive. That's a that's an exciting, adventurous, full of life testimony that God wants you to live. In your own way, each of us, he is the author of an incredible story. Now, I don't know about you, but. If you really study and understand how stories are written, stories that are normal and just kind of every day aren't very exciting. He got up, he went to work, he drove home, he had dinner and he went to bed and he got up and went home. You know, somehow, some way that sounds inviting to us. Boring sounds inviting. It's amazing. The reality in any great story that you would want to read, that there's a great deal of conflict that the character has to go through and overcome in order to get to the thing that actually was what the story was about. Whatever this plot was, there is a conflict where this person has to overcome the trial and the circumstance that was before them and they conquered. God only writes great stories. He's. His plan is for our lives to be the pens in which he writes. So if our intentionality is to avoid conflict and not try to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, then we're missing the opportunity to have ink in the pen of who we are. Because it's by faith that the ink fills who we are and God writes amazing stories. And you don't want to miss out on the real life God has intended for you. And who he created you to be and the things that he wants you to do. Jesus says it this way in John 10, 10. He said, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus has an exciting full life for you and for me as we learn to grow and live by faith. In that, Christ is writing amazing stories in who we are. Different pocket. I think we're good. Okay. God has plans for you and I to live a life beyond what we can even imagine or dream. But where we're seeing who God is and what he's doing in the circumstances and in the valleys of our life, no matter what the giant is, and we dive in to trust him because there's no doubt in our mind in faith, we're completely convinced this is a good thing that's going to happen. 
God's going to bring glory to himself through this situation. However, we have a little bit of a problem. We're going to look at this passage in Genesis chapter three, back to the back to the beginning, back to the garden where everything really kind of starts. I think you could preach a whole year on Genesis chapter three, but we're just going to look at the first seven verses and sum things up in just a couple minutes. Begin reading in chapter three, verse one. Now, the serpent, who is more crafty than all the other wild animals the Lord had made, he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, we may eat of the eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, said the serpent to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband. Who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. God created us to know him and to see him and to be with him. And then this little temptation, as all temptations do, comes to comes to Eve. The form of a serpent before this tree. And what is he speaking to in Eve? He's speaking as he does in every temptation that you and I endure. He speaks to her self. To this part of Self that seeks something out of what is before me for me. Look, Eve, at the fruit. If you choose to take this fruit, you get something good for you. You make it about you and there's something good that's going to come from it. Then she looked at it and she thought, oh, this looks like it would be good for me. God's already said, don't do it. But I'm looking at this and believing that maybe something good for me is coming out of this. Friends, here's the here's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says the law of the gospel, the law of the of all the prophets is summed up in this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself. You hear that? The gospel of Jesus Christ says, love God with all that you are. And love your neighbor as yourself. The antithesis of that gospel is love me. Live to do what you think is best for you. Every temptation that you and I will go through or endure or be tempted by will whisper in a tone that invites you to think of what is best for you. And the gospel of Jesus Christ invites you to live for God. And for others. As long as you live your life for God and for others, there is nothing but abundant life that is coming. Just think back of, you know, the, 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 the piece that says, you know, it's greater to give than receive. Just think back to the last time you really gave yourself to serve somebody and wanted something best for them. Did you come alive? Was your heart awakened to life in that? Or was it a, a depressing, dead feeling? Right? Think back of the it happens to me every time on my birthday. I don't I've gotten to where I don't like birthdays. And yes, there's an age thing to that now. But there's something kind of that happens on your birthday that your birthday is all about you. You with me? I used to love that as a kid. Now I don't like it. Like 
The day is all about me. I'm kind of ready for the day to be over. But the, the reality in that, just to kind of bear with me, when you make it all about you, you don't enjoy it. You may get pleasure from something, but it ultimately is not leading you to life. There's something in that that is stealing, killing and destroying the life that God intends for you to have. That's why the me piece is always inviting a death. God did not create you to live with you as the focus. That's the problem of where sin is introduced. Every day for you and for me. When we don't recognize that this voice that says, oh, well, this would be good. This would be good for you. Why don't you do this for you? I guarantee you sin is right there around the corner. But God is inviting you to live a life that is not about you, but is live fully to love God and to love your neighbor. It is the life that is fully not about you and your mindset being fixed on you. You won't see things in the same way in which you see them when you're looking at life through the lens of me. God has something more. God has something better for you and I than that. We see in, um, in Isaiah chapter 55, for your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord, is as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than my ways and your thoughts than my thoughts. You see, the Lord's plan is for us to grow as Christians in this knowledge and the understanding of who he is and how big he is. Because we can't, we can't live by faith and live by recognizing or thinking that God is a small God. You see, when we're thinking of if, if we think of wisdom in the context of Scripture, we hear this term fear of the Lord. And what fear of the Lord is, is not that, oh, I'm scared of God. It's this recognition of how big God is. How big God is. We, my family went to Washington, D.C. Uh, last week on a family vacation. And we were in the Air and Space Museum in the Smithsonian. We go to one of these these. Uh, these IMAX movies about the Hubble telescope. It was actually a really good, you know, 30 minute film or whatever. Right. Here's the story. Hubble telescope is up, you know, and, it, and the NASA scientists or whoever's in charge of that thing decide they're going to fix, fix this telescope on a dark spot in space and just have it focus and zoom in there to see if there's something in that dark spot. And sometime later, images start to come back from the Hubble telescope. And what they discover is they see this, this galaxy, all these stars and galaxy, 150 million light years away. 150 million light years. Let me just explain that. Here's Earth. Here's 150 million light years away. That particle of light has been traveling from 150 million years at the speed of light in order for the picture to be captured by the Hubble telescope. That light's been traveling at light speed for 150 million years before we see the image of it from the Hubble telescope. That means the image that we're seeing is 150 million years old. You get that? That's a, that's a big, big universe. You with me? That's just what we can see. And scripture says the Lord scattered the stars with his hand. 
the fear of the Lord. And as, as the Bible would call it, wisdom, wisdom is when we see how big God is and how small everything else is. Foolishness, according to Scripture, would be to see how big our problems are and that God is somehow small and not able to handle this or distant and too far away to be concerned about it. Friends, the Lord created you to live a life in fear of who he is that makes light of all the big things that we otherwise struggle with. And that's good news for you and good news for me. Because Jesus sent his son that we could have the Holy Spirit come and dwell within us and be able to be one with him for eternity. But this spirit of God comes when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, comes and lives within us. And you know what his role is? His role is to be a guide and a counselor, to speak truth of who God is and what he's about and to bring sight to places where we are otherwise blind because your eyes cannot see what the Lord knows. Somebody told me who was in the first service, called me afterwards. He said, you know, we have this phrase in, in human world where we say uh, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. But in the life that we are called to live, we're called to live by seeing through having faith and imagining and understanding who God is because he reveals Christ to us by his spirit. And is speaking the truth of what God is about. Seeing with our eyes is not believing, friends. Experiencing the reality and have the Spirit of God come alive inside of you and grow this faith is His plan. But the thing that blinds us is always looking at things through the lens of me. What's best for me? What do I think about this? If I'm author and king and judge and sit on the throne of life and my perspective is the way in which I judge things, there's going to be a problem. But the reality is, in Romans chapter one, Christ invites us to get off the throne of our of ourselves in view of his mercy and to lay down on an altar before him as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of, the, of your mind. Do not think any longer the way you've been grown up to think, where you are the center of your own universe. That's foolishness. That's the antithesis of the gospel. Instead, lay your life as a sacrifice before him, saying, not my will, yours be done. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will know what God's will is, his good, his perfect and his pleasing will. Your Mind's eye will be opened as we give ourselves and enter into this life that Christ says, unless you choose to die, you'll miss the life that I have in store for you. But if you die, then you gain the life that I came to give you. The life you were created to live. So let me ask you. Are you living the life of faith? That God wants to empower you and enable you to live. Or you, like I can be so many times, caught up in seeing things from my own six foot one perspective and just kind of recognizing things for what they are. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Do we find ourselves submitting to this? I love what. 
I love the Psalms. And as we as we look at Psalms, I would really say this is the anchor verse that that this whole sermon is about. And it comes from Psalms 123. David speaking, he says, we keep looking to the Lord, our God, for his mercy, just as servants look to the eyes of their master. And as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. David saying, I live to look to you just as a slave is watching his master, see if there's anything that he can do to bring. Or just as a, a maidservant is to her mistress, just watching for the slightest signal of a come on over here. That is how David is living his life before God. And God says of this man, a man after my own heart. I'm giving you homework this week. Your homework is to is to read Psalm 25 devotionally every day this week. Psalm 25, David sits before the Lord. Turn to it. David sits before the Lord and he's praying to the Lord and he says. He says to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul in you. I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous and without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not my sins of my youth and my my rebellious ways, according to your love. Remember me for for you are God, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep his demands of his covenant for the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. Do you want to live your life as a person in whom the Lord confides in whom he shows his plans and says, all of your descendants will be prosperous because you live before me to learn and to know of my ways. And did, you did not seek to live as the way in which the, Lord, the, the world would teach you to live. But you looked to me every day. I love Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And if you go back and read June 2nd, Oswald is talking about this very same principle where he says, what are we haunted by? Are we haunted in a good way by the spirit of God? Are we haunted as a child to his mother that whatever takes place just in an instant, the child cries out, mommy. Do you live and do I live with the Lord so quickly on our minds as a child does that when we look upon something, we immediately think, God. What are you doing? Are you here with me? Because that's the way that David entered onto the scene overlooking this valley. And he looked over the valley when all these grown men are running in fear. And he says, are you kidding me? An eight foot guy next to the toe of my creator. What are you guys 
thinking. The Lord will give you the same sort of eyesight. Not for your sake, but for his sake. Because of the stories of faith he wants to tell through the life he's given you. But it does mean some change. It does mean some some effort. It does mean some humbling in our part to live faithfully before God and invite him to have his way. I'm going to invite Austin and the band to come back up as we enter into this time of of looking at our own hearts and recognizing my encouragement to you this morning is to recognize just how much we can have our lives and have our thoughts fixed on us. When the reality and the answer to the life in which Jesus said, I came to give you a life of abundance means learning to live in faith, to seeing with the mind's eye, empowered by the spirit of God, to imagine and to know what God's will is, his good, his perfect and his pleasing will. And the way in which to recognize that is to no longer conform to the pattern and thinking of the ways of the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then being able to live before God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What is the giant in your valley? What is the fear that you don't want to be a part of? Can you just close your eyes for a minute and and pray with me? But just begin recognizing how much more the Lord has in store for you. As you begin and as his spirit equips you, we call this this work in the church, we call it sanctification. The spirit of God literally comes and leads and guides us to die to a self that we might fully taste the life in Christ. How much more does God have in store for you? The Lord delights to teach us his ways. He delights for us to know him and to see things as the rest of the world can't see. Because he takes delight and glory in those who fear him. Those who who dare to know the vastness and the heart and the love of God. This is a life of abundance. And it requires faith. I just want to speak to whatever it is that you're going through. I don't know your your immediate circumstance or situation. Maybe you've lived your life completely apart from inviting the Lord to be Lord of your life. And if that's the case this morning, I just encourage you to come forward. We've got people on the sides that will pray with you. Whatever your situation, I just invite the Holy Spirit right now. Whatever is trying to shield and guard the self from being protected right now, Lord, I just pray that you reveal that thing. Whatever's trying to to come up as this voice of self-justification and protect the me and, and say it's good for me to protect me and I don't want to submit to this. I don't want to humble myself because I don't know what lies behind it. Then I just recognize and just speak that that's pride and it only steals, kills and destroys. But if you're willing to, the Holy Spirit will introduce humility. And with that humility comes wisdom of how great and how amazing our God is and all that he has done for us. So, Lord, right now, won't you reveal 
and bring to the forefront of our minds the things that are trying to, to hold you back. The things that are trying to protect me. Instead of welcoming this death and living our lives as a sacrifice before you. With a smile on our face. In great joy and gladness. Saying, Lord, have your way. This is the life that you bring. To love the Lord God with all my heart and soul and mind. And without fear to love my neighbor. As I used to love myself. So Father, come and have your way. Lead us to this life everlasting. Let us not be like the nation of Israel standing on the hillside, blind as a bat to who you are. But raise up the spirit of this little boy that says, are you kidding me? Bring it on. Nothing is impossible for my God. Let the stories be written and the tales told through my life of just how amazing you are.